I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Freewheel, and Rob Kelly. And as you might be able to tell from my voice, which is a little more dramatic than normal, uh, I'm in the middle of a cold. But the show must go on, so we're going to persevere. And joining me again is our pal from the network, Ryan Daly. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me back. And don't worry about your voice. We'll just say this is the Daniel Lanois-produced version of, <laughs> of, of, of Pod Dylan. You know, all the swampy stuff we're going to drop. I'm going to drop it in post later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, speaking of Daniel Lanois, we are going to talk about a Daniel Lanois-produced song. We are here to talk about Most of the Time, which is track six or track one of side two in the olden days from <laughs> 1989's Oh Mercy, which was Bob Dylan's first album with Daniel Lanois. Ryan, I know the Lanois albums are a personal favorite of yours uh what do you love about this song i mean it's other than it's awesome <laughs> it's a great song it is and i mean the my first appearance on this show we talked about not dark yet which is my favorite dylan song this one might be number two okay uh i i just i love the song and they sound very similar in terms of i guess mood and atmosphere they just they have that that sound and i didn't even realize it i think until you did the episode on uh the man in the long black coat uh, when I, I kind of realized, I was like, oh, yeah, the two commonalities between these albums that I really like are the producer. Right. It never dawned on me. Um, but I just – I love the the infusion of that weird sort of – yeah, like that swampiness. There's sort of a a rural noir type of feel <laughs> to the to the songs that it's it, it's country but it's dark. And yeah, most of the time it's just – it's easily my favorite song on the album, which there's great songs on this album. But this one always stood out. I – think i probably first discovered the song in high fidelity ah right, right but right. It, that was also right around the same time i was really getting into dylan so it it, it might have i might have heard the song on the album and then like seeing it in context with that movie kind of exploded it more in my consciousness but they were right around the same time uh, and, for, uh, i'm sorry oh, go ahead Okay, you go ahead. I'm just saying for anyone who doesn't remember uh most of the time comes in during the scene in high fidelity where right after uh uh, Laura's father's funeral and uh, Rob and Laura meet together in the car and she asks to have sex with him and that's when and then she they go run out in the rain and stuff like that and that's where the song comes up so that's that's where you hear it and that's in that movie maybe one of the most honest sex scenes in a movie that I've seen <laughs> yes. just because yeah, there's no no love there it's just about feeling something other than pain but right. um yeah and it's I one of the things that I love about this song so much is Bob deals with something that is so rare in songwriting, which is he brings up an unreliable narrator, <laughs> which is really tricky unless you're doing a narrative poem or a narrative song where you obviously have characters and a, a almost a set of plot or events in the song. That itself is pretty rare in pop music. But he does it. He brings up this unreliable narrator with this song, which is not narrative. It's, it's very lyrical. But he does it because of this one line. It's the title. It's most of the time. And the song is about a, a guy who is, say, who is telling the world that he is done with this person. He has gotten over his former lover. 
Uh, he doesn't even think about her. He doesn't remember her. We're done most of the time. <laughs> right. and, and that's the line. And you can choose to interpret the song as he is clearly over her. Like, yeah, most of the time. Usually he doesn't even think about her. It's obvious. Yeah, he's way past her. Or you can think of it as he's way past her dot, 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 or he's not. And the way the the way that line is used at the beginning of verses and then at the end of the verse. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. So and as soon like once I read the lyrics and once I kind of got into that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is just phenomenal writing. The fact that he's able to do this mixed message. And I think most people probably lean towards the fact that he is undercutting his own message, that he's not over this person. Uh, but the fact that there is any sense of ambiguity just makes this all the more special from a lyric standpoint, I think. Yeah, I mean, it opens up with him saying most of the time, and then he, as the song goes on, he sort of states in more and more grandiose terms, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like how much he's over this woman. I mean, he talks about, I can smile in the face of mankind, which is a great turn of phrase. I love, mm-hmm. just that's a great visual, smiling in the face yeah. of mankind. But he opens up with most of the time, I'm clear focused all around. Most of the time, I can keep both feet on the ground. I can follow the path. I can read the signs. I stay right with it when the road unwinds. I can handle whatever I stumble upon. I don't even notice she's gone most of the time. And so, yeah, it's a guy who is not only trying to convince you of something. Like, you're at a bar with mm-hmm. this guy, and he's drinking. He's drinking too much, and he's desperately trying to convince you. And he's probably got a photo of the girl on top of it, you know, <laughs> or, the, or the other probably don't say, well, he does say she. It could be anybody, really, of course. But, I mean, he's trying to convince you that, that he's over her. And you know you're not buying it, and he isn't really buying it because he mm-hmm. keeps adding in that little coda at the end. Well, most of the time, me thinks Bob Dylan Duff protests too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and what I like about that opening verse is he doesn't introduce the fact that this is about someone, about this she, this girl, until the the penultimate line in that verse, the, the second to last line. Like most of it, he's just like, I'm great. I got my feet. I'm I got my head straight. Everything. We're we're good. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm perfect. I'm gold right now. I'm yeah. She is not part of my life anymore. It's like wait who? Like wait, this is about like who's this she that you're talking about? And and then as the versus you know continue to play out over that. It's all about yeah. It's all about this girl that he is insisting he's over. She he barely remembers her. Yeah, and, and as I, as I said, the, the the imagery that he puts in is is really like, again quite evocative. And just a little bit of context for this album, we had we have covered it on on other episodes. But uh, the, you know, this was uh, this the album came out in 1989. It was worked on, I believe, in early '89 or very late '88, probably '89. And it was the first album of the new contract Dylan had signed with Columbia Records, and he had just come off a string of his worst albums in a row. <laughs> all of all of Dylan's worst albums were sandwiched together in a streak, from the disappointing live album, Real Live, to the disastrous live album of Dylan and the Dead. And then in between those, you had three very indifferent albums, uh, Empire Burlesque, Knocked Out Loaded, and Down in the Group, even though there are things on all those records that I like, and we've covered them a little bit on the show and we'll cover other ones. Um, they were definitely by his own admission, tossed off, not knocked out loaded and down on the group specifically were just stuff le- that was just laying around. In fact, you used, um, death is not the end on mm-hmm. an episode of secret origins, which I'm sure is the first time that song's ever been used in any context ever. <laughs> um, but 
from what people have said of the time is that once Dylan signed a new contract with Columbia Records, he wanted to make a, like a, not a statement, that sounds very pretentious, but he wanted to make a mark. He didn't want to be perceived as, you know, it was over, he was just an oldies act, he was just a has-been. He wanted to be like, no, 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 I'm still a vital creative force. And so he applied himself and wrote these very interesting songs and approached Lanois, who was one of the more strong-handed uh, producers that Dylan had ever worked with. They recorded this album, I believe, in uh, New Orleans, in a in a um, a mansion, not in a recording studio. It was a, a mansion that was re retrofitted uh, to become a recording studio, and so therefore Dylan let Lanois have a bit more say into the the, the oral world of the song. And this the lead in the uh, the the instrumentation to lead into this with the percussion is really quite beautiful with that kind of ominous. You know, mm-hmm. build up as it comes in, and then when he, he's the way Dylan is singing is a, a very it's like a kind of a whisper, but it's like right up in your ear, like he's kind of like right really close in that whispering to you. And yeah, then the free you know again the, the words he uses here to describe what could be a you know it's a pretty basic situation. And when he talks about I can deal with a situation right down to the bone, uh, he mentions I don't build up illusion till it makes me sick. I ain't afraid of confusion, no matter how thick. I mean, it's. For for a song that is relatively simple in what he's trying to convey, the language is very very powerful and and in, in a lot of ways some of this some of this phraseology could be used in some of his more ambitious songs. I mean it's it's really it's almost deceptively uh, it, it, the the theme of it is very simple, but the language is not simple. Yeah, but there's also something very matter of fact, like as you said, like almost like whispering it to you, almost conversational about how direct the language is it it feels more complex it feels a little bit more lyrical just be, maybe just because of the word choice and the way he sticks certain rhymes but it's still you know playing on those very basic very simple themes and like the the line that you mentioned before when he says i can smile in the face of all mankind you know putting on on this you know pretense of being happy and everything like the world doesn't understand it. and then the line that follows that up don't even remember what her lips felt like on mine. Beautiful. I think that's my favorite line in the song. Just mm-hmm. that, and you know that you know that experience. You know that feeling. Yes. It's one of those things where he just he he says something that you've never heard quite put that way, but it's so authentic and so true. Uh, and getting back to the sound and, and you, as you were kind of teasing the way the, the song opens up. And I, I think it's, it's really part of what Daniel and brought in because he does it again in the album time out of mind that came out like uh, less than 10 years later, but almost a decade later there's, he does something in some of these songs where it feels like he uses guitar sounds almost as orchestration. Mm. And I don't know enough about actual like music and recording to, to, verbalize this but it it feels like he's almost like taking the pick and just sliding it over the guitar strings to create this just this noise this hum and it's not quite chords it's not quite a melody but it's there and he layers that in the background almost as if you know another producer would use you know orchestral sounds like violins or cellos or things like that he does it with just this guitar sound that gives it this bluesy feel that makes the sound deeper like it feels like foggy because it's not it's <laughs> yeah. not it's not music that you can grab but it's it it just feels like thick and heavy in the <laughs> air 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, apparently they recorded uh, Dylan's recording times were unusual to say the least. Uh, there are there are, are records, you know, of uh, when things were recorded, and it's like you can look and it says like you know uh, recording times for Oh Mercy were starting at eleven p.m. and ending at four a.m. You know, <laughs> like they were definitely going for a very particular uh, vibe here by recording in this swampy you know, New Orleans mansion in the middle of the night. I mean, and you have to think that that stuff seeps into the the sound of the record. And I think it does show. I think you can hear it because this, like, Oh Mercy is the kind of album where I only want to listen to it after the sun goes down. (laughs) Like, it feels weird listening to it in broad daylight. It's like, no, there's, it's like a vampire. It almost, it only comes out at night. Like, (laughs) It, uh, this is a slight diversion, but I can't help but think about this. In terms of, you mentioned something about, you know, he, the the narrator here absolutely wants to just convince you so much and convince himself of of you know, no, 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 this is fine, I'm good, I, you know, he said, I know he ends the song with I don't compromise and I don't pretend, and and on over on uh, the Film and Water podcast, I've mentioned my admiration for uh, Albert Brooks. I'm a huge, huge mm-hmm. fan of Albert Brooks, and there's a, a movie of his called Modern Romance, another movie that I've talked about a lot. And it's my favorite movie of his. I think it's a, a, a mini masterpiece. And anyway, he just breaks up with a woman in that movie. And the next morning after he's broken up with her, he decides he's going to become a runner. That's his thing. And he goes into this running store and he buys like $500 worth of running stuff. And, you know, he buys the shoes and the, the, the thing for your, uh, your wrist to put your wallet in and like all I mean, And it's like he just goes way too far in. Cause you just and so and he goes to this track and he's got the headband and he's okay and he's and he's in the dirt and he's kicking up the dirt and he's like okay whoo, 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 I'm gonna be a runner now okay 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 go and he starts running as like he runs in a sprint that no one can maintain. <laughs> Ten seconds later, he makes a hard right turn into a phone booth and calls this woman. And I'm like, that's the guy from this song. I mean, that's really yeah. what it is. It's like you've totally fooled yourself. Exactly. Uh, into just believing. And, you know, again, I think a lot of us have been there, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've had conversations with, with people about, you know, where they've experienced it. And I've experienced it where you're just you're telling yourself something that you yourself know isn't true. And that's what this, this song speaks to so profoundly. Now, one of the things that's baffling and, you know, I love Bob. I love him to death, but he can be his own worst enemy at times. Uh, he recorded a video for this song. There is a most of the time video. I think it's shot by his son, Jesse. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's available on Bob Dylan's uh, YouTube channel. Unfortunately, Bob decided to record a completely different version of the song, <laughs> uh, which sounds nothing like this version and is, to me, drastically inferior. So how that's supposed to sell you on most of the time, I don't know. Because you, if you hear it, you're like, "What? This is not the song. I don't know what is this it, is." Is it the all acoustic version, or yeah. is it like, okay, I've heard that yeah. version. I mean, it's fine, but it's not this. This, I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of big productions, and I think mm-hmm. in a lot of other contexts, I wouldn't like Daniel Lanois's production, but it seems to work with Dylan. I think they, they reach some sort of simpatico, uh, which, which just worked for both people both men uh, very well and and so you know to me this song i can't separate it from that beautiful accompaniment the percussion that goes on and i don't want to i mean this is the version that i want to hear and sort of related to that uh, in terms of live versions uh, bob has only performed this live 36 times from hmm. from 1989 through 1992 and that is it and you know he he's never been one for not experimenting and changing the sound, but I almost wonder if he doesn't realize that the version they achieved on the album is really pretty much perfection. And since he can't replicate that live right. because of the you know the the 
you've got a different set of instruments and everything. I, I wonder if he just decided, you know, this just doesn't really work. Maybe because it's slow, or although that hasn't stopped him in other times. But this is one of those little masterpieces that, you know, he himself just sort of has has left behind. I've said that many times on the show. There's a lot of songs that he just sort of leaves behind. Clearly, other people have not left it behind, as you, we talked about. It was in High Fidelity. It's been covered a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but he himself just is sort of content to just, you know, leave it back there on no mercy. The version, speaking of covers, there's one version that I think stands out above any of the others that I've heard. And considering this might be my second favorite Bob Dylan song, it's high praise that there is a cover version that I like almost as much. Mm. Uh, and it's a version by Betty Lavette, and it's just a blues song. It's just her, like, kind of like, a, it sounds like there's a stripped down, like, bluesy guitar and drums. Uh, she changes the, the tense because she's speaking about a man. Um, and at one point she almost curses. She, I don't even care if that I ever see that mother. Blank again. <laughs> and it, it, like, it cuts out. But uh, if you can hear the version by Betty Lavette of most of the time, it's also, a, it's just a great blues song. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, it, what's so special, like, I think getting back to it again, like the the whole thing, what makes this this special is it, it all. I think all hinges on just the the position of the line most of the time in the song. Like it, when you break down the verses, like when he uses it at the beginning of a line, most of the time she ain't even on my mind. Most of the time I can't even be sure if I was ever with her, or she, or if she was ever with me, or if I was ever with her. You know, when he's when he's front loading the verse with that line most of the time, it okay, you're you're telling me you don't think about her. I'm I'm kind of with you. I believe you. But then at the end of the line, he's like, I don't even care if I ever see her again, dot 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 most of the time. <laughs> and then you're like, I think you just undercut yourself. I, you, you okay, you just we gotta go back to the beginning, Bob. You're not you're not convincing me. Yeah. And the the fact that he can do that and create this type of narrative or this type of character who is at this state of mind, like the Albert Brooks movie, it's it, yeah, it's really special. So. Yeah, it's a tremendous song. It's a great way to lead off uh, side two. Again, we don't have sides anymore in the, right. the old in the old days. We did, but it's a great uh, it's a great way to lead to lead off side two. And it's a, it said it's a wonderful album. I mean, the whole thing is a wonderful album. And uh, you know, like I said I, I I'm happy. That Bob seems to be, uh, you know, doing it all himself. I think that's where he is. But at the same time, uh, I, you know, two of Dylan's finest albums were the ones produced by Lin Wah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that seems to suggest something. And so, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a third go round wouldn't be the worst thing in the world just for a different, just for a change of pace or something. Because he, Bob's, I think. I think Bob wants to bring his A game for someone. He respects other musicians. I think that's his main thing. And Lane Wah is a musician. Lane not only is a producer, mm-hmm. he's a musician of, of his own right. And so I almost think that he wants to, to sort of, you know, not not impress Lane Wah. I don't think Dylan cares about impressing anybody anymore. Maybe <laughs> maybe Johnny Cash he cared about impressing, but that's it. But I mean, you know, I just think he wants to bring his A game for Lane Wah. And I I mentioned this on a previous show. There was that story about that. Um, after he recorded the bunch of Sinatra songs for the last album, Fallen Angels, he brought them to Lanois to listen to. <laughs> and I th- and he wanted to, like, get Lanois's opinion. And I thought, that's funny. Man, just imagine that, like, sitting in Bob Dylan's kitchen. You know, <laughs> he's playing his album for you. <laughs> you know, hey, what do you think of this? Oh, okay, let's listen to it. So they clearly remain for even though apparently their relationship was a bit contentious, uh, as you might imagine, trying to produce Bob Dylan, they clearly have remained friends all this time. And that's good, because those are two great records and this is a really really great song yeah agreed 
So, all right, I think we're going to wrap it up here for most of the time. We're going to have a link in the show notes, of course. Uh, it's uh, available on iTunes as part of Oh Mercy, and you should pick up that whole album because it's just tremendous. It features my all-time favorite Bob Dylan album cover, Oh Mercy. Just great all around. So, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for coming back and, and being on the show. I really appreciate it. Where can other people find you on the Internet? Well, I've got a number of podcasts on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Usually at this point I say Secret Origins is the main podcast, although that show will be done by the time this episode comes out. So you can still find it. It's still on the website, and I will have some new shows coming out in the near future. But uh, for now, I'll just say if you want to find me, I've got a bunch of shows on the Secret – sorry, I've got a bunch of shows on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter, at RyanDaily01. You can find me on Facebook. Um, Don't don't look for me too hard. I'll I'll find you if I really want to talk to you. (laughs) Wow, that's a hell of a way to end thing. That's good. I like that. Don't look for me. I'll look for you. Uh, <laughs> if you find me at your door, chances are you did something to bring me down. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for coming on. As always, if you want to follow the show, it's over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And you can leave a comment over the network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. A, uh, a scheduling message for everybody uh, that's listening. Uh, the show, Pod Dylan, is going to be taking a couple of weeks off. We're going to be working on some episodes of Saturday Morning Fever, which was a show we've only done one of to this point, but we're going to be doing a couple more. And that show is, of course, has to run on Saturday. So we're going to give Bob Dylan a couple of weeks off. And I need to, uh, as you can hear, I said I'm a little bit sick and I have some other things going on. So I'm going to give the show a little bit of a breather, probably about a month or so. So I said expect the show to come back around November uh, 12th or, yeah, something like that. I think November 12th is probably when we'll come back. Give me a chance to sort of. Uh, think about what I want to do for future episodes and go from there. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Please leave us some feedback. We haven't had any new iTunes feedback in a while. We really could use that. We are the only show on the interwebs about Bob Dylan. We're the only podcast about Bob Dylan. So uh, it helps if people are looking for the show. Like on Twitter, we see that, that people are recommending it to, to, to other Dylan fans, which is great. That makes me feel so good. So the, if you can leave some reviews on um, – iTunes. That would be tremendously helpful. So we'll see you guys all in about a month. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Ryan, thank you so much for coming back. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, Rob, I, just before we go, you will be back for the holidays, right? Because your your listeners are expecting you to cover Must Be Santa. I will absolutely be covering Must Be Santa. That is one of my favorite things that man has ever done, including the video. Yeah, that no, yeah, November. T- I, like I said, I I can't guarantee it because you know things get in the way. But November twelfth is when I'm aiming for the show to come back. So that's about a month mm-hmm. from now. But we'll absolutely be running through Christmas because I love Christmas in the heart, and uh, I I relish the opportunity to. Uh, throw some eggnog in the faces of those critics that didn't like it. It's a bunch of dicks. So anyway, uh, not many people would not many people would think to rhyme the reindeer Santa's reindeer with eight consecutive presidents of the United States. <laughs> Few people would think that yeah, that belongs in a song, but he did I want to be at that Christmas party so bad of that video. <laughs> it looks like the most fun thing ever. I want to do Christmas caroling with Bob Dylan. That's just, him in his wig. I'll I'll take it. It's awesome. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening, and until the next episode. Uh, uh, I guess. Well, well, we'll just see you then. Thanks. Bye. And I don't pretend I don't even care If I ever see her again Most of the time